Welcome to Marilyn Lightstone Reads Vanity Fair, William Thackeray's deliciously satirical take on a money-mad society set against the backdrop of the Napoleonic Wars. We're delighted you're back for another novel in our podcast series, Marilyn Lightstone Reads. If this is your first time with us, you can find all the other novels in our series plus new episodes at classicalfm.ca or through your favorite podcast app. Now, let's turn to Marilyn as she reads William Thackeray's Vanity Fair. Chapter 4 The Green Silk Purse Poor Joe's panic lasted for two or three days, during which he did not visit the house, nor did Miss Rebecca mention his name. She was all respectful gratitude to Mrs. Sedley, delighted at the bazaars and in a whirl of wonder at the theatre where the good-natured lady took her. One day, when Amelia had a headache and could not go on some outing, nothing could induce Becky to go without her. What? You who have shown the poor orphan what happiness and love are for the first time in her life, quit you? Never! Rebecca's green eyes looked up to heaven and filled with tears, and Mrs. Sedley thought that her daughter's friend had a charming, kind heart. As for Mr. Sedley's jokes, Rebecca laughed at them with a cordiality which pleased that good-natured gentleman. She found favor with Mrs. Blenkinsop, the housekeeper, by showing deep sympathy in the raspberry jam preserving. She persisted in calling Samuel Sir and Mr. Samuel to his delight, and she apologized to the lady's maid for ringing the bell with such sweetness and humility that the servants' hall was almost as charmed with her as the drawing-room. Once, on the day when Joe Sedley made his second appearance, Rebecca was looking over some drawings of Amelia's from school when she came upon one which caused her to burst into tears and leave the room. Amelia hastened after her friend and came back alone, rather affected. Her father was our drawing-master at school, Mamma, and used to do the best parts of our drawings. The poor child is all heart, said Mrs. Sedley. Oh, I wish she could stay with us another week, said Amelia. She's devilish like Miss Cutler that I used to meet at Dum-Dum, only fairer. She's married now to the artillery surgeon. Do you know, ma'am, that once Quentin of the 14th bet me... Oh, Joseph, we know that story, said Amelia, laughing. Never mind about that, but persuade Mamma to write to Sir Something Crawley for leave of absence for poor dear Rebecca. Oh, here she comes. I'm better now, said the girl with a sweet smile, taking Mrs. Sedley's hand and kissing it respectfully. How kind you all are to me. Oh, <laughs> she added with a laugh, except you, Mr. Joseph. Oh, me, <laughs> said Joseph, meditating an instant departure. Good God, Miss Sharp. <laughs> yes, how could you be so cruel as to make me eat that horrid pepper dish the first day I saw you? You are not so good to me as dear Amelia. He doesn't know you so well, cried Amelia. The curry was capital, and indeed it was, said Joe gravely. And the chilies? <laughs> By Jove, how they made you cry out, said Joe, exploding in a fit of laughter. I shall take care how I let you choose for me another time, 
said Rebecca, as they went down again to dinner. I didn't think men were fond of putting poor, harmless girls in pain. Oh, by God, Miss Rebecca, I, I, I wouldn't hurt you for the world. No, said she, I know you wouldn't. She gave him ever so gentle a pressure with her little hand, and drew it back, quite frightened, and looked first for one instant in his face, and then down again at the carpet. Joe's heart thumped at this little, involuntary, timid motion of regard on the part of the simple girl. Perhaps some ladies will condemn the action as immodest. But you see, poor dear Rebecca had all this work to do for herself. If a person is too poor to keep a servant, he must sweep his own rooms. If a girl has no mamma to settle matters with the young man, she must do it for herself. And, oh, what a mercy it is that these women do not exercise their powers oftener. We can't resist them if they do. A woman with fair opportunities, and without an absolute hump, may marry whom she likes. Only let us be thankful that the darlings don't know their own power. They would overcome us entirely if they did. Egad, thought Joseph, entering the dining room. I began to feel as I did a dum-dum with Miss Cutler. <laughs> Miss Sharp made many sweet little appeals, half tender, half jocular to him, about the dishes at dinner. By this time she was on a familiar footing with the family. The girls loved each other like sisters. As if bent upon advancing Rebecca's plans, Amelia reminded her brother of a promise he had made that he would take her to Vauxhall. Now that Rebecca is with us is the very time. Oh, delightful, said Rebecca. About to clap her hands, she recollected herself and paused modestly. Not tonight, said Joe. Well, tomorrow. Tomorrow your papa and I dine out, said Mrs. Sedley. You must have someone with you. Let Joe go, said his father, smiling. He's big enough. <laughs> at which even Mr. Samuel at the sideboard burst out laughing, and poor Joe felt almost inclined to commit patricide. Undo his stays, continued the pitiless old gentleman. Fling some water in his face, Miss Sharp. The dear creature's fainting. <laughs> poor victim, carry him up. He's as light as a feather. If I stand this, sir, I'm damned, roared Joseph. "'Order Mr. Joss's elephant, Samuel,' cried the father. But seeing Joss ready to cry with vexation, he stopped and held out his hand to his son. "'Samuel, never mind the elephant, but give me and Mr. Joss a glass of champagne. Boney himself hasn't got such in his cellar, my boy.' A goblet of champagne restored Joseph's temper, and before the bottle was emptied, he had agreed to take the young ladies to Vauxhall. "'The girls must have a gentleman each,' said the old gentleman. "'Send to 96, and ask George Osborne if he'll come.' At this, Mrs. Sedley looked at her husband and laughed. Mr. Sedley's eyes twinkled roguishly, and Amelia, hanging down her head, blushed as only young ladies of seventeen know how to blush, and as Miss Rebecca Sharp never had blushed since she was eight years old when she was caught stealing jam by her godmother. Amelia had better write a note, 
said her father, and let George Osborne see what beautiful handwriting we have brought back from Miss Pinkerton's. Do you remember you wrote to him to come on Twelfth Night, Emmy, and spelt Twelfth without the F? That was years ago, said Amelia. It seems like yesterday, don't it, John? said Mrs. Sedley. That night, in their front room, Mrs. Sedley took her husband to task for his cruel conduct to poor Joseph. It was quite wicked of you to torment the poor boy so. My dear, Joss is a great deal vainer than you ever were, though thirty years ago you had a right to be vain. But I've no patience with Joss and his dandified modesty. The boy is only thinking of himself and what a fine fellow he is. We shall have some trouble with him, ma'am. Here is Emmy's little friend making love to him as hard as she can, and if she does not catch him, some other will. That man is destined to be a prey to women. Mark my words, the first woman who fishes for him will hook him. She shall go off tomorrow, the little artful creature, said Mrs. Sedley. Why not she as well as another? I don't care who marries him. Let Jos please himself. When morning came, the good-natured Mrs. Sedley no longer thought of sending away Miss Sharp, for she could not bring herself to suppose that the little, humble, grateful governess would dare to look up to such a magnificent personage as the collector of Boggley Walla. In any case, the letter asking for the young lady's stay to be extended had already been sent, and it would be difficult to find an excuse for dismissing her. The very elements conspired to favor Rebecca, for on the evening of the Vauxhall party, George Osborne, having come to dinner, and the elders of the house having gone out to dine, there came on such a thunderstorm as obliged the young people to remain at home. Mr. Osborne did not seem in the least disappointed. He and Joseph Sedley drank a quantity of port wine together in the dining-room, while Sedley told a number of his best Indian stories. Afterwards, Miss Amelia Sedley did the honours of the drawing-room, and the four young persons passed such a comfortable evening together that they declared they were glad of the thunderstorm. Osborne was Mr. Sedley's godson, and had been one of the family for three and twenty years. At six weeks old, he had received from John Sedley a present of a silver cup. From his youth, he was tipped regularly by the old gentleman at Christmas, and he remembered being thrashed by Joseph Sedley when the latter was a big, swaggering hobbity-hoy, and George an impudent urchin of ten years old. "'Do you remember, Sedley, what a fury you were in "'when I cut off the tassels of your hessian boots? <laughs> "'And how Miss... "'How Amelia rescued me from a beating "'by falling on her knees and crying out to her brother "'not to beat little George?' "'Joss remembered this perfectly well, "'but vowed that he had forgotten it. "'Well, do you remember coming down in a gig "'to Dr. Swishtails to see me before you went to India "'and giving me half a guinea and a pat on the head?' I always thought you were at least seven feet high, and was quite astonished at your return to find you no taller than myself. How good of Mr. Sedley to go to your school and give you money, exclaimed Rebecca. Yes, and after I had cut the tassels off his boots, too. I delight in Hessian boots, said Rebecca. 
Joss Sedley, who admired his own legs prodigiously and always wore hessians, was extremely pleased at this remark, though he drew his legs under his chair as it was made. "'Miss Sharp,' said George Osborne, "'you who are so clever an artist, you must make a grand historical picture of the scene of the boots.' "'Sedley shall be shown with an injured boot in one hand. "'The other shall be holding my shirt. "'Amelia shall be kneeling with her little hands up, "'and the picture shall have an allegorical title.' "'I shan't have time to do it here,' said Rebecca. "'I'll do it. I'll do it when—when when I'm gone.' "'And she dropped her voice and looked so sad.' "'that everybody felt how cruel her lot was "'and how sorry they would be to part with her. "'If only you could stay longer, dear Rebecca,' said Amelia. "'Why, so that I may only be the more unwilling to lose you?' "'And she turned away her head. "'Amelia began to weep. "'George Osborne looked on with a touched curiosity, "'and Joseph sadly heaved something like a sigh "'as he cast his eyes down towards his favourite boots. "'Let us have some music, Miss Sedley. "'Amelia,' said George, "'who felt at that moment an extraordinary impulse "'to seize her in his arms and to kiss her. "'Amelia looked at him for a moment, "'and if I said they fell in love with each other at that instant,' I should be telling an untruth, for these two young people had been bred up by their parents for this very purpose, and their marriage had been planned ten years before. They went off to the piano, which was in the back drawing-room, and as it was rather dark, Miss Amelia, in the most unaffected way in the world, put her hand into Mr. Osborne's, who, of course, could see a great deal better than she could. But this arrangement left Mr. Joseph Sedley alone with Rebecca at the drawing-room table, where she was occupied in knitting a green silk purse. "'There is no need to ask family secrets,' said Miss Sharp. "'Those two have told theirs.' "'I believe the affair is settled,' said Joseph. "'George Osborne is a capital fellow, and your sister is the dearest creature in the world,' said Rebecca." "'Happy the man who wins her!' "'With this she gave a great sigh. "'When two unmarried persons get together "'and talk upon such delicate subjects, "'a great deal of intimacy is established between them. "'There is no need to report the conversation "'which now took place between Mr. Sedley and the young lady, "'for it was not especially witty or eloquent. "'As there was music in the next room,' The talk was carried on in a low tone, though the other couple would not have been disturbed by a loud conversation, so preoccupied were they. Almost for the first time in his life, Mr. Sedley found himself talking without timidity to a person of the other sex. Miss Rebecca asked him a great many questions about India, which gave him an opportunity of narrating many interesting anecdotes. He described the balls at Government House, and how they kept themselves cool in hot weather with punkas and other contrivances, and he was very witty about the number of Scotchmen whom Lord Minto, the Governor-General, patronized. And then he described a tiger-hunt, and how the mahout of his elephant had been pulled off his seat by an infuriated tiger. How delighted Miss Rebecca was at the Government balls!'
and how she laughed at the stories of the Scotch aide-de-camp, and called Mr. Sedley a wicked, satirical creature, and how frightened she was at the story of the elephant. "'For your mother's sake, dear Mr. Sedley,' she said, "'promise never to go on one of those horrid expeditions.' "'Oh, a poo-poo-poo, Miss Sharp,' said he. "'The danger makes the sport pleasanter.' He had been only once at a tiger hunt when the accident in question occurred, and when he was half killed, not by the tiger, but by fright. As he talked on, he grew quite bold and actually had the audacity to ask Miss Rebecca for whom she was knitting the green silk purse. He was quite surprised and delighted at his own graceful manner. "'For anyone who wants a purse,' replied Miss Rebecca, looking at him in the most gentle, winning way. Sedley was about to make an eloquent speech and had begun, "'Oh, Miss Sharp, how—' when a song in the other room paused and made him hear his own voice so distinctly that he stopped, blushed, and blew his nose in great agitation. "'Did you ever hear anything like your brother's eloquence?' whispered Mr. Osborne to Amelia at the piano. "'Why, your friend has worked miracles.' "'The more, the better,' said Miss Amelia, who was a matchmaker in her heart, and would have been delighted for Joseph to carry back a wife to India. She had, too, warmed into a most tender friendship for Rebecca, and discovered a million amiable virtues in her which she had not seen when they were at school.' Having expended her little store of songs, Amelia asked her friend to sing. "'You would not have listened to me,' she said to Mr. Osborne, "'had you heard Rebecca first. "'I give Miss Sharp warning, though,' said Osborne, "'that right or wrong, I consider Miss Amelia Sedley the best singer in the world.' "'You shall hear.' said Amelia, and Joseph Sedley was actually polite enough to carry the candles to the piano. Rebecca sang far better than her friend, though, of course, Osborne was free to keep his opinion, and exerted herself to the utmost. Amelia had never known her perform so well. She sang a French song, which Joseph did not understand, and then a number of those simple ballads which were the fashion forty years ago, and in which British tars, our king, blue-eyed Mary, and the like, were the principal themes. They are not very brilliant musically, but contain simple appeals to the affections. Samuel, who was bringing the tea, and Mrs. Blenkinsop, the housekeeper, stopped to listen on the landing. It was an old-fashioned ditty, full of phrases like bleak and barren was the moor, the cottage hearth was bright and warm, an orphan boy the lattice passed, oh, doubly cold the fallen snow, etc., etc. As she came to the last words, Miss Sharp's voice faltered. Everybody felt the allusion to her departure and her orphan state. Joseph Sedley, who was fond of music and soft-hearted, was profoundly touched. If he had had the courage, and George and Miss Sedley had stayed in the other room, Joseph's bachelorhood would have been at an end, and this work would never have been written. But at the close of the song, Rebecca quitted the piano and walked away into the front drawing-room twilight. 
Mr. Samuel appeared with a tray containing sandwiches, jellies, and glittering glasses and decanters, on which Joseph's attention was immediately fixed. When the parents of the house returned from their dinner party, they found the young people busy talking. Mr. Joseph was just saying, Oh, my dear Miss Sharp, one little teaspoonful of jelly to restore you after your, your delightful exertions. Bravo, Joss, said Mr. Sedley. Joss instantly relapsed into an alarmed silence and soon departed. He did not lie awake all night thinking whether or not he was in love with Miss Sharp. The passion of love never interfered with his appetite or sleep, but he thought how delightful it would be to hear such songs as those after dinner. How well she could speak French, and what a sensation she would make at the Calcutta balls. It's evident the poor devil's in love with me. Oh, she is just as rich as most of the girls who come out to India. I might go farther and fare worse, Egad. And in these meditations he fell asleep. How Miss Sharp lay awake, thinking, Will he come tomorrow? Need not be told here. Tomorrow came, and Mr. Joseph Sedley arrived before luncheon. George Osborne was there already and Rebecca was knitting her purse. While the ex-collector of Boggley Walla laboured upstairs from his carriage to the drawing-room, knowing glances were telegraphed between Osborne and Miss Sedley. They looked at Rebecca, who actually blushed as she bent her fair ringlets over her knitting. How her heart beat as Joseph appeared, puffing in shining, creaking boots. Joseph! in a new waistcoat, red with heat and nervousness, and blushing behind his wadded neckcloth. It was a nervous moment for all. Samuel, who announced Mr. Joseph, followed him grinning and bearing two handsome nosegays of flowers, which Joe had actually had the gallantry to buy that morning. The young women were delighted as he presented one to each with an exceedingly solemn bow. "'Bravo, Joss!' cried Osborne. "'Oh, thank you, dear Joseph,' said Amelia. "'Oh, heavenly, heavenly flowers!' exclaimed Miss Sharp. She smelt them delicately and held them to her bosom and cast up her eyes in an ecstasy of admiration. Perhaps she just looked first into the bouquet to see whether there was a note hidden among the flowers, but there was none. "'Do they talk the language of flowers at Boggley Walla, Sedley?' asked Osborne, laughing. Oh, "'Pooh! Nonsense!' replied Joe. "'Bottom at Nathan's. Very glad you like them. And, Amelia, my dear, I bought a pineapple at the same time, which I gave to Samuel. Let's have it for Tiffin, yes? Very cool and nice, this hot weather.' Rebecca said she had never tasted a pineapple, and longed beyond everything to taste one.' So the conversation went on. I don't know why first Osborne and then Amelia went out of the room, but Joss was left alone with Rebecca, who had resumed her work. The green silk and the shining needles were quivering rapidly under her white slender fingers. Oh, what a beautiful song you sang last night, dear Miss Sharp, said the collector. It made me cry almost, upon my honour. 
"'Because you have a kind heart, Mr. Joseph. "'It kept me awake last night, "'as I was trying to hum it this morning upon my honour. "'Gollop, my doctor, came in at eleven. Oh, "'For I'm a sad invalid, you know, "'and see Gollop every day. "'And, gad, <laughs> there I was, singing away, <laughs> like a robin. "'Oh, you droll creature. "'Do let me hear you sing it. "'Oh, no, you, Miss Sharp.' Oh, not now, Mr. Sedley, said Rebecca with a sigh. My spirits are not equal to it. Besides, I must finish the purse. Will you help me, Mr. Sedley? And before he had time to ask how, Mr. Joseph Sedley was actually seated tete-a-tete -tete with a young lady. His arms stretched out in an imploring attitude, and his hands bound in a web of green silk which he was unwinding. In this romantic position, Osborne and Amelia found them. The skein of silk was wound round the card, but Mr. Joss had not spoken. "'I am sure he will tonight, dear,' Amelia said, as she pressed Rebecca's hands, and Sedley, too, said to himself, "'Gad, I'll pop the question at Vauxhall!' Thanks for listening to Marilyn Lightstone Reads Vanity Fair. This episode was produced by Justin Eacock, executive producer Moses Nimer. This is the latest book in our podcast series, Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Other selections include Showboat, Anne of Green Gables, The Age of Innocence, Pride and Prejudice, and The Woman in White. You can also help support this podcast by recommending it to your friends and leaving a five-star review in your preferred podcast store. And while you're there, look for a variety of other quality podcasts proudly presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.